Family meeting after 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Guess what, y'all? What? Grice <laughs> is really dead. Yeah, it's for real. I I didn't think it could even <laughs> ever happen. We never dared to dream. No, but it did. It did. Oh, man. It's over. Our She's long gone. national nightmare is over. We'll never have to deal with her except as an annoying memory uh, <laughs> that Tommy Shelby has ever again. <laughs> you know, sorry, Annabelle Wallace. Uh, we really hated your performance. <laughs> we did. Here lies Grace Shelby, annoying wife, annoying mother. Ineffectual spy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, let's get into it. All right. Although, before we start, we found out, finally, the guy who plays Moss, what his name is. Yeah. It's uh, Tony Pitts. Which so. is not a great name, but kind of a very British name. Well, and it seems like you're like, oh, yeah, that guy looks like a Tony Pitts. Yeah, I a character that. actor. Yeah. Like, if he was American, I wouldn't feel like he looked like a Tony, but he looks like an English Tony. Yes. English Tony, totally different than American Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. For reasons I don't understand. Well, I think English Tonys tend to be uh, Anthony's and Italians have, or Americans have a tendency to be Antonio's. That's true. Yeah. So, anyway, after this fascinating etymological aside. Woo! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we can tell things are for real because they're playing a tinkly piano version of Red Right Hand. Which we didn't immediately recognize That's true. as such. So, I do like it when they screw around... With the theme song. Yeah. Uh, so well done, Steve Knight. <laughs> That's right. I don't know how much he has to do with the day to day, honestly. Yeah. But his name is fun to say. It is fun to say. And, uh, you know, the buck stops with Steve Knight. Yeah. Uh, so Tommy's sitting in front of a fire and, uh, then he rides off on a horse smoking a cigarette. I swear to God, he is not in a single scene in this show where he's not smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I think you're so right. I think they're setting him up for like emphysema or something. <laughs> it could be. He also rides horses a lot, which is always enjoyable. Not as much as he smokes cigarettes. Well, you no, can't necessarily a- bring a horse in a house. <laughs> right. It's also a bigger, you know, budget production-wise. It's true. You get a horse involved. Yeah, cigarettes. Psh, yeah. Easy peasy. <laughs> Inside, Ada says Tommy's been sleeping outside every night since the funeral. This is where we knew for sure. Yeah. Because we were like, is she... We are holding up. Is, is she still just- lingering? Is right. she clinging to life? With her breathy Northern Irish ways. No. There was a funeral. Yes. Ada also says that the baby asks for his mom every night. You know, babies will. Yeah. Uh, Tommy made a list of people he wants to see, and he wants to see Polly and Michael first. Uh, luckily, they're both there. Yeah. In his home office, Tommy asks after the books of Michael, the bookkeeper. Right. Uh, apparently books are up slightly, and donations to the Shelby Institute are up threefold. Which, I mean, look, from a purely cynical (laughs) money-grubbing perspective, which, as my reactions to the end of Orphan Black this season will attest, (laughs) um, you know, uh, there's really nothing quite like raising money for your charitable institution than your wife getting gunned down at the fundraiser. Yeah, that'll open some pocketbooks. Yeah, so there's been a proposal by the board to call it the Grace Shelby Institute, which uh, they probably should have anyway. She was doing all the work. Right, that's true. Uh, donations immediately plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> that's mean. It is mean. Coming from me, saying that's mean, that's really mean, Tom. I suppose so. 
Tommy hands Polly a list of other things that he wants done and then uh, just totally goes bat shit on his desk <laughs> and throws all his paper. I mean, and I get it. I've yeah, been sure. here before. We just want to throw things mm-hmm. and be angry. Uh, he then just tells him, you know, good job. Keep up the good work. <laughs> yeah. Arthur and John see Polly and Michael and they don't realize that they've been in already. And Arthur and John take offense because they thought it was a family meeting. Woo! But Polly attempts to explain that Tommy's very hard to read and that he's grieving. Yeah, give uh, him a break. That's really not what Arthur and John do. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Not hyper-nuanced, those right. two. Although, honestly, well, we'll see more later in this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, John in particular. This might be one of the best episodes they've ever done. It was really good, yeah. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the one doing the show notes, so I don't feel like I emotionally like recognize that until uh-huh. like right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Polly attempts to explain that Tommy's very hard to read at the moment, uh, more so than usual, right? And that he's also grieving, and that seeing everyone at once would be too much. And they grudgingly accept and go in and say, "There's only good news to share on their end." All right. Yeah, and we see Arthur, like, trying to, like, give his condolences or whatever in his gruff, uh, socially awkward way. But Tommy tells them to shut up. And they say that they killed Angel and cleared the Italians out and that, uh, Changretta is waiting for an immigrant ship to flee the country. So Tommy says that what he would like them to do is to shoot Mrs. Changretta and bring Mr. Changretta to him. Killian says to do what's on the list and nothing else and not to use phones. He's very clear about that. Uh, And that he wants to kill Changretta himself. John takes this moment to express his outrage that Tommy saw Michael before he saw them. And Tommy says that legitimate business takes priority. And the two of them really start going at it. Yeah, and like the scene is so good that I did not do a good job of recapping (laughs) it. Like it's just... I don't think we've seen this level of acting from the guy playing John. Yeah. Basically, you know, he's so comic relief. Exactly. In so many ways that for him to really be an emotional anchor in this scene Mm -hmm. is incredible. Yeah. This episode, really. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Tommy very vaguely explains the Russian business. John just sniffs in and return. And I'm like, are you on coke all the time now? Like, he's been sniffing so much this season. Mm -hmm. If he is... Look, I'm not here to judge this <laughs> fictional period piece. Right. But just explain to me why you're always sniffing. I, I got to think it's the uh, the Tokyo. Mm. I wish they called it Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. That was only the slang term for a brief period in 1927. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Arthur asks when Tommy is coming back, you know, like from his grieving or whatever, and Killian does not respond. Ada points out that the family have all naturally gravitated to the servants' quarters. Fucking Ada! (laughs) And Arthur says it's not because of socialism, it's because that's where the booze is kept. (laughs) And Ada is like, oh my god, I have so many essays to read to you about that, you know, false distinction. Uh, Anyway, Polly (laughs) tells them to quit swearing in front of the baby. And then Arthur and John are upset that Michael is considered to be better than them now. (laughs) Michael, the educated whale who thinks he's better than you. (laughs) It's not wrong. (laughs) What was his name before? Henry or something? I think Henry. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Arthur waxes philosophical about family meetings. uh, And Paul tells Finn to get some cigars and again to stop swearing. 
Michael tells Arthur to fuck off. And then the baby says fucking pheasant in a very unbelievable, like, yeah. okay, people are always like, oh, don't say the F word around a baby yeah. because, and this is Ada's son. Right. So he's okay. a bit older yeah. than uh, Charlie. Charlie. I'm like, what was his name? Yeah. Sam Neill Jr. I'm calling that. I know it's disrespectful to Killian, but um, no, I mean, like, babies will absolutely repeat this stuff back, but like, this was because Arthur was like, oh, we gotta go out and kill some fucking pheasant. And then the baby's just like, fucking pheasant. It's not how it works. Yeah. Like, the baby... But it's just such a trope. Mm-hmm. Like, any TV show will drop this in at any time of somebody saying a bad word and well, then a baby echoing it in a cute And I will say, I thought Grace and Frankie actually did a good job of it. Yeah. Because, like, when it was, like, explained, like, how it happened, it made perfect sense. Yeah. Because... She had heard her mom refer to someone as this fucking guy. Uh, yeah. And so she just kept doing it because she, like, kids don't know what the fuck word means. Right. Mm-hmm. They really don't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, maybe if we quit demonizing language and get at the root of our socioeconomic inequalities. <laughs> Thank you, Ada. You're welcome. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. I did. Anyway, uh, Polly gets mad because the baby has said fuck. I don't know why they can't. It's not like their baby is going to be respectable. This, you know. Okay. Anyway, Paul tells them all to quit being fucking soccer hooligans because <laughs> Tommy needs them. But then Finn runs in to say Tommy's in a wagon with Johnny Todd <laughs> driving away. Arthur goes after the wagon, but Polly stops him and John from going after them. So Killian's in the wagon with Charlie, the baby. I was concerned right. about where the baby was being left. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlie, no. Johnny, Johnny Dogs yeah. wonders why Tommy's going to Wales and why they haven't brought a woman, which that confused me. Yeah. I don't know if they meant like for protection or, or like companionship. I don't know. I don't know. But Tommy I, yeah. says that he's going to see a woman. So. Right. I guess they just wanted to work that in somehow. Yeah. And I do, I just really enjoyed just Tommy and Johnny dogs just driving off in a wagon with no explanation. It just, it's so great. Yeah. Ah, this is, this is the real, this is the blindingness of the Peaky Blinders. (laughs) It is, yeah. So yeah, Ada says that Tommy says, told her that he will be back in Beham in three days. And then Paul says to drink whiskey with water. So. Cause they're classy now. Right. Uh, Tommy, Johnny, and Charlie are camping out, and Tom. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh man, guys. Okay. <laughs> and I've thought about this scene several times yeah. since we watched this. But he tells Charlie, and he's he does what I like to do, which is talk to a baby as if they're a forty-year-old accountant. <laughs> um, I think it's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells Charlie that mummy's gone. But they've got all her photographs and clothes, and he'll keep things the way they are in the room. Uh, also, that he himself is a terrible father, but Grace will always be in their hearts. Johnny comes over and says that the horse won't come to him. And Killian says that it was Grace's favorite horse, and it's been all over the place since she died. Yeah. Uh, which, again, listen, all this, like, gypsy magic stuff, mm-hmm. like, horses are spooky. Yeah. Like, yeah. horses know things. Yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, that's absolutely Grace, true. Grace, such a more effective character in death <laughs> and absence than she ever was yeah. in life no, on this show. No, that's true. And the, the relationship with horses is just one of the great things about this show. Well, and it's like, you know, I don't think that 
Tommy Shelby had any illusions about their relationship and what was good or bad about it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that Grace and possibly the show did. I, yeah, that seems about right to me. You know, he knew what it was and mm-hmm. where its failings were, but he still, you know, yeah. he was built to have a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, that's true. In a way that she was not. Yeah. And the show, like, didn't know how to reckon with it. Well, I think well, the show decided that she was built for a dysfunctional relationship, but never offered any evidence of that, either in the writing or in the performance. No. Yeah. Agreed. And I guess, okay, also... According to the recap, I think in The Guardian, I think The Guardian and The Independent both were recapping. Mm-hmm. One of them said that Grace's husband committed suicide. Right. So the faux pas, I don't know where they're getting that right. from a textual perspective. <clears throat> well, though. it was stated, but the way we both interpreted it at the time was that the suicide story itself was a cover-up for something. And maybe... And I mean, maybe, maybe it was just she said, I'm pregnant with this other guy's baby yeah. and he killed himself, but like... Yeah. I guess that's what it is, is that so, the thing that triggered the suicide is what was being hinted at and not and that the suicide was meant to be taken as a statement of fact. I don't know. I, don't I know think either. it was poorly done. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. No matter. Yeah. Speaking of things being poorly done... <laughs> Uh, Arthur, John, and Michael are all getting shit-faced and teaching Michael how to shoot a gun. Which seems like a bad idea. It does seem like um, a bad idea. I mean, guns in general, well, right. to me, seem like a bad idea. Here, here. What with all uh, the mass shootings that keep happening mm-hmm. and the incremental day-to-day shootings that keep happening. Absolutely. Uh, Many of which invo- involve accidents where alcohol and guns are mixed. Correct. As we see here. Um... However, I will say this scene, I fucking loved this oh, scene. Oh, yeah. This scene was great. Yeah. Uh, so, we, you know, like Michael shoots the gun at, you know, bottle or whatever. Arthur wants to know why he wants to fire a gun uh, and then tells him to cock it again. And Arthur tells him to point it at a man. Uh, so he points it at John. This is going even worse than I expected, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, but Arthur is like, see, this is what it's all about. This is having this pointed at a man, knowing that it's up to you. Like, just, and I don't, it, it, we didn't just watch it, so I don't, like, remember the words and uh-huh. the things like that, but just, I really. It was a great monologue for Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. John is freaking out. Mm-hmm. Because, well, he keeps saying that that particular gun has a a hair trigger essentially mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. jumpy and uh you know michael then pointed at arthur's face mm-hmm. and arthur wax is very philosophical about killing people right and arthur not worried like arthur is like well like, but arthur honestly wouldn't be sorry to die right. because that's what he keeps saying is like right. you kill enough men and that they start following they, you around they they fall at your feet and they pile up till you can't walk like basically and like this is a very responsible piece of guns and pop culture i think for that reason yeah yeah because i don't know i'm just gonna get a little philosophical myself and political here but it's like so the orlando shooting happened the day of the tony awards and the cast of hamilton you know, I'm sure it was the producers like, oh, well, don't have your muskets mm-hmm. in the dance number that we're doing. And I just think that's so disingenuous to do. Mm-hmm. I hate it when people do that. And I'm not even going to say that I don't think pop culture contributes right. to our cavalier attitude toward guns. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like a one-to-one. Like, I don't think if you watch 
We watch Peaky Blinders, which right. has a lot of guns. It has a lot of guns. And, and at often, no point have we ever been like, oh, let's go get a gun. Right. I mean, and, and often very glamorous gun usage. And yeah. yet. But like, if you're talking about a historical event, especially, for example, the American Revolution. Right. It's like, okay, isn't it more powerful to then leave that in and yeah. be like, oh, you know, that Second Amendment that these fucking assholes are always talking about. Mm-hmm. This is what they were talking about. Yeah. These guns. Yeah. For this reason, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, I still fully support the use of guns during the American revolution. Right. Like I am glad America exists. Me too. Uh, less so for most wars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going forward, especially right. once, you know, assault rifles came into being mm-hmm. and that bugs me too. When all these people are like, oh, this didn't happen, you know, on a battlefield. And I'm like, shouldn't it also not be happening there? Right. Like, anyway, yeah. that's getting way too deep in the weeds yeah. with, like, international escalation and stuff. But, right. Like, that becomes about, you know, foreign policy, Anyway, discussing yeah. simply pop culture and guns, I think, A, it is good to be thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. But, like, the guns in Hamilton are virtually... Right. And, you know, I don't know. I just don't believe in trigger warnings. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Right. Like, I understand. I understand it. But at the same time, I'm like, look, we have to be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're victimized, we have to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it was an overreaction. Anyway. Yeah. I have been wanting to just talk about that. So. Yeah. But that's, you know, but then in this scene, like. You no, know, and there's actual very, human consequences. There's human consequences. As there and, also are in Hamilton. Right. And Arthur is, like, explaining both the power and the temptation and, you know, the... The consequences. And the consequences, right. Um, but he's, you know, but he's like, you know, he understands that shooting a gun feels great. And he's not pretending otherwise. He's just saying when you shoot people, it you never, un- you know, you're stuck with that forever. I think one of the greatest things about Arthur as a character is that it's like he's missing a super ego. Hmm. Or no, is that it? That's the, the overriding su- one, right? Well, the super ego, like basically, like the ego is sort of yourself, and the super ego is the angel, and the it is the devil. Okay, like yeah. So yeah, he has no then ego. Yeah, like he can't marry the super ego and the it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Like he fully understands arguments on both sides. Yeah, but he has no way to live with himself. Because he's like, well, this one thing is very, very good. This one thing is very, very bad. And I don't know how to make sense of it. Mm -hmm, And I mean, mm -hmm. you see that all through this series. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's committed suicide or tried to attempt to commit suicide mm -hmm. so many times Mm -hmm. because he has these deep insights. Right. You know, he can't. But he can't do anything with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Polly comes along. And Typical Polly. Along like, came Polly. <laughs> that's right. And it's like, uh, hey, uh, they say that they're educating Michael. Polly tells Michael to go inside, and Michael says that he's not a fucking kid anymore. Which is fair. He was practically an adult when he decided to come back to his original family. Yeah. And I do find it irritating the way that Polly, like, babies him. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't yeah. know. Anyway. Yeah. I have a lot of issues with Polly's character. Right. 
Uh, Arthur emphatically agrees, and then we get some fast boogie rock. We assume it sounded like fast. Yeah, boogie they're rock. not doing subtitles on the music anymore. I, I know. Like either in terms of saying fast, bo- how do we know what kind of boogie rock it is? Right. This may well have been medium boogie rock. We don't know. <laughs> Same on Orange Is the New Black. Like they're yeah. not like they're not giving you like title and uh, artist name anymore. Yeah, which is really odd to me. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's just like a Netflix wide thing. It may be. It might yeah. be a licensing issue. Yeah. I, um, but I it seems stupid. Right. Like, I don't see who that benefits. Yeah, me neither. But, uh, you know, welcome to the wonderful world of intellectual property. Blech. Yeah. Uh, so Arthur and John shoot all of the bottles. And Which Michael did not shoot. Right. He was trying to shoot them, and he was he, not good was, at it. Yeah, it was his first time. Understandably. Yeah. Uh, so Polly goes back inside. At the factory with Ralph Innocent, uh, John and Arthur walk in. Ralph Innocent tells them he's just Ralph Innocent now. Is he? Is, he's, he's, he's the guy the from the VV. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, Dagmar Cleftjaw. Yes, you know, understood. The gang's all here. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph Innocent tells him the plan won't work, uh, and that the Duchess walked in asking about armored cars. You know, the day after Killian's wife got shot. What an R- idiot! I know. That just uh, look, look. I am not a criminal, mm-hmm. but if I was a criminal, I'd be a fucking cautious ass conservative criminal, which generally speaking, Tommy Shelby is. Right. He knows how to play the long game. Mm-hmm. He's very patient. And he told her straight up, he was like, you cannot go see them because it is extremely suspicious. Right. And the idea that her mother would let her do that is baffling. Yeah, but, but these... Or her, I guess it's not her mother, it's her aunt or whatever. Yeah, but still. I mean, look, fucking Russian aristocrats, man. Anyway, they... Don't even get me or Ada started. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Ada. (laughs) So they tell Ralph Innocent to sack all the communists on the night shift in six weeks. And Ralph Innocent asks if they're mad and says every factory will go on strike if they sack the communists. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of somebody else who recently didn't go on strike, but certainly did a thing. (laughs) I'm talking about myself. Yes. John asks if any communists are missing from the list. Yeah. And Ralph Innocent says he doesn't know. Arthur says, Emmanuel Hunter, it's a trap. <laughs> uh, come on, Ralph yeah. Innocent. This is clearly a trap. Yeah, think things through. Um, they say that now they know they can't trust Ralph Innocent and he'll be watched and they know his kids' names. Uh, and Ralph Innocent appropriately upset about his babies potentially being murdered. Mm-hmm. So Ralph Innocent agrees and Arthur gives him a payoff yeah. for doing their dirty work. <laughs> So we see Paul standing for her portrait, and uh, Ruben asks if Tommy will come back, and Polly says she doesn't want to talk about that. So he asks what books she likes, and she says that he would be surprised at the things she knows and doesn't know, uh, because she wasn't, in fact, educated at all. Ruben, unfazed, is like, well, what is there to learn, after all? Which is a totally bougie thing to say. It definitely is. Uh, so Polly, not happy about that. Uh, she lights up a cigarette and demands to know if he tells his friends that he is painting a gangster. He says that he doesn't have any friends. His wife had all the friends and she died. And the reason that he's painting her, he says, is that she has a, pl- is that she has a face full of contradictions and he plans to seduce her eventually and sleep with her, please God. <laughs> I said that. That sounded weird coming from you. Oh, okay. I thought he... Oh, I he thought did he, say. Okay. That's true. I also was saying, like, please, God, I like <laughs> yeah. this guy. Oh, yeah. I like him, too. And uh, he's he's clearly willing to wait this out. So, you know, 
Good See, for I, him. Yeah. Uh, in any case, he's convinced her to return to her po- pose. Uh, countryside. Is it Wales? Seems a wagon pulls up, Welshie. so it seems likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, is that Gypsy Queen with Johnny Dog? Yeah. Madam Boswell is her actual name. Okay. Um, she says to Tommy that she heard someone shot his wife. He Man, says news he's, travels fast among the gypsies. Uh, well, they have all that magic. <laughs> right. He says he's not there for soldiers, which is what she'd thought, mm-hmm. that he was coming to get reinforcements. Uh, he's brought the sapphire that he gave to Grace and asks her what she thinks, uh, if she would take it from him. Yeah. Um, you know, he says he blames himself for Grace's death and Madame Boswell says, oh, you want me to tell you that the jewel is cursed? And she says, oh yeah, it's cursed. I feel it. Uh, and you know, he walks away and she says, all religion is a foolish answer to a foolish question. I mean, he basically comes in and says, hey, if I was Catholic, I would go <laughs> and a priest would be like, hey, yeah. this wasn't your fault. I just need for you to tell me this wasn't my fault so that I can continue sleeping at night and planning various murders and heists. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I do this all the time. Yeah. Standard gypsy. Which, I mean, it is practice. a very... It's a very important, like, human function, though. Yeah. Like, to yeah, be able sure. to tell people, like, hey, um, you didn't, it you was, didn't, man. It was that sapphire. Yeah. Yeah. What that we could all blame a cursed sapphire for our problems. I'm just going to start doing it. You'll be like, oh, how come the dishes didn't get done? And I'll be <laughs> like, oh, cursed sapphire. Damn you. <laughs> uh, so back in Liverpool, the Changretas are hanging out, and they're fretting that they will be killed, understandably, but... Mrs. Changretta says that it will be all right. Uh, and then we see Tommy walking into some office, possibly in Liverpool. Unclear. Maybe London. I don't know. Yeah. Like, sometimes they're really good about those, like, location markers, and then other times they are not. I'm yeah. Like, what? You know, pick a side. <laughs> At the docks, there's a man working his way toward the Changretas. Yeah. They're just about to get on their ship to America. And the Changretas... Oh. And, by the way, in the previous scene, I noted that Mrs. Changretta said to think of Mott Street... So they're heading to New York specifically. Uh, The Changretas call for police and give them some money and they say, oh, hey, you know, they're uh, trying to kill us. Yeah. And somebody asks Changretta for a light and a guy menaces him. And we see in the office Tommy signing some papers and he puts Grace's photo away. Under the dock, some men approach and it's John and Arthur. Yeah. Uh, so the the police have escorted yeah, the, the police have escorted them straight to the Peaky Blinders. Yes, and Mrs. Changretta begs them for mercy. Now we didn't get into this in the right, previous scene. Right, Mrs. Changretta was their teacher. Yeah, growing up, and yeah. John and Arthur not were pleased. adamant that they could not kill this woman. Right, right, because uh, they have tremendous respect for her and what she did for the community. Mm-hmm. Um. So John says, Mrs. Changretta, don't worry. We're not going to harm you. Um, and Arthur says, you know, we're disobeying our orders just by talking to you. Mrs. Changretta begs them to let Mr. Changretta go. You know, she's she's calling back the things that they did when right. they were in school and, you know, spanking their bottoms and all these kind of things. Yeah. But they tell Mrs. Changretta she has 10 seconds or they will shoot her. And this scene is so fucking heartbreaking because mm-hmm. her husband is just like, listen, go, go to this cafe. Yeah. They're going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, but it's just old people, man. Yeah. Old people who love each other and have been together for a long time. I can't take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she finally lets go and John like tries to hug her or something. It's very awkward. Mm. 
And then a song about a big black clown car plays by Nick Cave. We assume. <laughs> thanks a lot, Nick Cave. Th- well, more like thanks a lot, Netflix. Because wow. then we would know how to make fun of it. <laughs> That's right. So we see Tommy walking somewhere dark with a lantern. And we see a man naked from the waist up tied to a chair. So it looks like uh, this is Changretta who is praying in Italian. And this is the uh, looking like a reservoir dog situation here. You know, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. No. Okay. I've only seen the itchy and scratchy parody. (laughs) (laughs) Which, while a fine work in itself. It's got stuck in the middle with you, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the scene. Great. Um, Tommy tells Changretta that it's after seven at night and he is going to keep him alive until morning until he hears the blackbird sing at dawn. Uh, And so he gets out a razor. it, they look like Sweeney Todd's razors. It's right. a whole, it's a whole set chased silver. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, beautiful, so, horrifying instruments of torture. That's right. So his right arm is complete again. He tells <laughs> Changretta to open his eyes, or he'll cut away his eyelids, and just continues going on and on about which parts he's going to cut him off first. It's a supervillain monologue. It is, and, and it ends. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, because he gets to the end and he's like, "I forget who I am. I'm a blinder." I'll go for your eyes first. Yeah. And, and we're like, we don't want to see this, please. <laughs> and we don't, because at that moment, Arthur shoots Changretta in the head. Mm-hmm. And Tommy looks at him and Arthur says, I heard the blackbird sing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's... No, he totally, like, uh, yeah. yeah. He yeah. outclasses him. John tells him that they let Mrs. Changretta board the ship because there's not those kind of men. Yeah. And it's just like... Yeah. The fact and... that these two have a moral code <laughs> well and look you know and i get i get where tommy was coming from he was like they killed my wife i'm gonna mm-hmm. kill his wife yeah yeah um and that's the thing about tommy too is that he is like the dictator of their family and that sort of thing but he doesn't you know he doesn't flip out at arthur and john here and he doesn't you know he just he's like all right i get it uh-huh you know and yeah and just uh tells john to get rid of the body and the razors uh, you could sell them for a fair price, I understand. So Tommy pulls up to his house and plays with Charlie, which is so cute. <laughs> yes. He should really start thinking about not killing people. That would be a good plan. Uh, because then we can't see these adorable scenes. Yeah. Charlie, very good TV baby. Oh, excellent TV yeah. baby. Killian then walks into an office where a lady is. Oh, it's fucking Ada. <laughs> uh, he asks if Ada did what was on her list. And she's like, you and your fucking lists. And I'm like, don't hate on lists. They're a handy way to they're, get things yeah, they're done. they're the only way people do things. <laughs> That's right. Humans are terrible at multitasking. You know, if you socialists would make more lists, you might have had more success that by now. That is an excellent point, sir. Mm-hmm. They thought lists were too hierarchical. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, she is spying on communists for him. Right. But she doesn't want anybody to get killed. He says one of the blinders will get killed if she doesn't do this. Yeah. Um. Which is true. Yeah. Tommy says she's wearing lipstick again. Uh, she says that she got bored. So that might have been like a, just a communist, like, right. Okay. Cause I was like, she hasn't been around a dude since that weirdo they killed. Right. Right. Um, Tommy says Ada can change what she, what she does, but not what she wants. So even though she is a socialist, she Mm -hmm. is a, you know, common Shelby materialist at heart. Right. Much like Yoga Jones. Uh, I know. (laughs) And he says that there will soon be a vacancy at the wharfs in Boston. 
if she wants to take it, mm-hmm. which I think is a great idea. I think so too. I think it would be great for her. She could, you know, still be living off of their largesse without having all of the baggage right. of what being a Shelby means mm-hmm. in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this seems great. Uh, so a dude on the street runs into a guy. Uh, it's, uh, it's a James Monkland. This is the guy that Ada, Ada gave him this name. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's where that comes from. So the cops pick him up and Tommy heads into his cell smoking a cigarette as you might expect. Tommy says that he has been passing information and that he, Tommy, needs to know the name of the informant. Uh, Monklin says that the odd fellows are very dangerous, and Tommy says that he needs to figure out who he's more afraid of. The odd fellows at some point in the future, or him right there, right now. Yeah. Uh, and presumably, we know the answer. Yeah. Linda asks Arthur if the blinders always have to, quote unquote, take stock at night. Yeah. Uh, he says yes, because it slows down production, which is a very good answer and is correct. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he gets out of the shower and Linda says that all this night work is going to have to end because she is pregnant. Oh. I don't like Linda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, well, I mean, it's just hard to see anything working out for Arthur regardless of the circumstances. So. Well, because he's not being honest with her. Well, right. And I mean, there were things that Tommy was lying to Grace about, but she knew fundamentally what his deal was, mm-hmm. you know? And how the hell did Arthur find a woman who doesn't know what the Shelby family is up to? Yeah, I that is... Did they have her bust in? I mean, I think she has some awareness of it, uh, but I don't... Yeah, I don't know. That's There's a little bit of mystery there. In the gypsy scrapyard, Arthur pulls out a bottle and says that they'll wait for Tommy, who finally arrives. Uh, and he tells him that Linda is up the swanee, I'm going to be a fucking dad. And everybody else is super stoked. Yeah. And Tommy's just like, uh, bye, I got a meeting. Uh, and then he says congratulations and that he is proud. Yeah, because I thought he wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. And I was like, that is a dick move. Yeah, that would have been even for him. Tommy walks up to a house, which I thought was his, but is in fact uh, someone else's. Yeah. Because he walks into a room with all the Russians and that Mr. Jarvis and that priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tatiana, who is the niece, mm-hmm. gives Tommy their condolences. Uh, Ma Russia is looking <laughs> alarmed. She asks what Tommy's dad did. He says he told fortunes and stole horses and that he was so good at telling fortunes that he'd tell people, oh, your horse is going to be stolen. And they would be amazed <laughs> when it would happen that See, very night. That's corporate synergy right that's there. That's really great. That priest says grace, and Tommy says he's not there to eat, but to do business, and he has a report, which he gives to Pa Russia and then Ma Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy explains how they will orchestrate the heist, which is basically they're going to set it up right. so that there's a citywide strike, mm-hmm. and then they'll have some drivers in place to unload the armored cars and get them out of town. Yeah, they'll basically they'll be the only people being able to move vehicles because they've planned it. And then they're going to take it to, uh, like, a pier somewhere, either in the south of England or maybe London or something, and they say, and then that's up to you. If you're not there, we'll just, like, dump it all in the water and leave. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he uh, says that, you know, they've incurred some extra expenses beyond what they had discussed. And he says, that here's, you know, the figure. He writes it on a napkin and passes it to Ma Russia. And it says, I have secrets. Yeah. Which, like, we were like, ooh. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> Tommy then announces that no matter what happens going forward, he will not swallow food in the same room as that priest. Which is great. Because that priest does suck. He does. Ma Russia that tells. Stupid dog. <laughs> yeah. Ma Rasha tells Tatiana to walk out with Tommy. Outside, Tommy tells Tatiana that the priest is passing info to his enemies and that he will kill him for no charge. That's just the kind of service that the Peaky Blinders are famous for. <laughs> she marvels at his ability to contain his dealings after Grace's death, uh, and perhaps that he didn't love Grace. Man, fucking Russian women yeah. in pop culture. Mm-hmm. He grabs her by the throat and says that Grace is by his side, telling him not to trust these people, i.e. the Russians, and that he needs permission to kill that priest. The end. The end. Great episode. Compact. Yeah. No, like we're, you know, a pretty short podcast here, it's turning out. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I guess that's what was, what, what one of the things that was good about it was just, it was like, it was you know, zippy. yeah, boom, boom, boom. Like, that whole like when with I thought that he might spend the whole episode wandering around Wales with Johnny Dogs, you yeah. know. But no, that's not this kind of show. No, it's that not. That would alienate their target demographic, which is not ponces like us. <laughs> so we're not all watching this show for scenes of the Welsh countryside. We're not. Oh, or even like Arthur waxing philosophical about death. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, so. Uh, uh, everybody watch Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Oh, man. I think... Well, not I, everybody, necessarily, because it's intense. It's very intense, but it's very good. Yeah. I, I'm, i like, so debating, like, is this the best season that they've done? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. It is hard to I say. I like... Well, there's just so many different things going on in each season. There are, but one thing I do like, this is my what my friend Megan Cohen calls vaginal storytelling, mm-hmm. um, versus sort of very, like, plot-driven narrative economy oriented storytelling Mm -hmm. and i think orange is the new black is such a great example of it i was thinking about it this morning where it's like you know they keep introducing more characters and keep introducing more characters and i've seen a lot of recappers like "Eh, you keep introducing me 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 and i'm like you know what that's life yeah that is how life is it is life i've marveled in like recent years at my own life i know so many people now Mm mm-hmm and it's so hard to spend quality time with anybody. And mm-hmm. like you think back to when you were a kid or when you were in college, you could have these very like intense friendships right. with these people that you spent all of your time with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess you and I kind of have that, but I mean, you know, we well, right. have but jobs yeah. that are, you know, different jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's just like you don't. You don't get to see everybody's story that you want to see yeah. as life continues mm-hmm. and different people come in and out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, this season was so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of the things that they did, I approved of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So as long as you're getting your Netflix on. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. Uh, what else are we doing? Orphan Black. Yeah. Just Good for- season. Great rebound. Yes. From... This, if you would... If you had maybe given up on it after last season and felt like it had gotten Ari out of... Ari Millen's failure to be Tatiana Maslany. Right. And they they should have just had her play all the caster clones. <laughs> they should have. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you felt like it had gotten out of control last season, they actually like... They did a it all. great pivot. Yeah, like yeah. they just... They were like, okay, 
And again, they introduce plenty of new people as well. They do, yeah, for it sure. It is, and those are male showrunners even. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the way things are going, though. Yeah. And it's weird. Well, but I would say Orange is the New Black is different than all of these because despite its having a, you know, seemingly, you know, main character, it doesn't, there's not one story that has been following all this way. Yeah, that's true. You know, true. which is not true of P.E. Blinders. It's not true of Orphan Black. Um, you know, they've all got one character whose story they're following. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's still great shows. That's a perfectly valid way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. But that's what's different about Orange is the New Black. It's very uh, Robert Altman-esque. Mm. Very Gosford Park. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, credit where credit is due. Robert Altman, big vaginal storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like that phrase. No, I know you do. I hope our listeners aren't upset by it. <laughs> no, they should pick it up. Yeah. Use it in conversation. Yeah. Let's start a movement, uh, And cite my friend Megan Cohen. Yes. Because she's the one who coined it. Yeah. So, you know, not trying to erase her and her contribution <laughs> to the arts. That's right. Um. Yeah. And, oh, Unreal is back. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Unreal. Unreal. So great. Also... That, I would say, is not vaginal storytelling. No, I wouldn't say that. But it's women in a traditional male anti-hero role. Right. Absolutely, it And is. it's phenomenally good. Yeah, and that's what's great about it is it's this women in this traditionally male role, but not in a traditionally male setting. Yeah. Like, it's still women. It's still distinctively female, mm-hmm. but they're just, they have, you know, they're anti-heroes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic. The Americans just wrapped a great season. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, oh man, that show's so good. Yeah. I can't even deal with how good that show is. <laughs> no. Like, and, and people have been tweeting at us. We will never podcast that show. Oh man. We will never podcast it because we just like it so much. <laughs> yeah. Like we just, some things are just for us to enjoy. Yeah, that's true. And that is 100% one of them. Like yeah. it is so good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be all recapping. And I've actually, I think I've hit peak recap. Yeah. Like, I'm still reading a lot of them for, like, Game of Thrones and stuff. Like, with Orange is the New Black, a lot of these binge-watching series. Yeah, they, they just don't... I don't, don't... want to... Well, the recaps aren't... The recaps aren't up to where I'm at in the series, obviously. Right. Um. So sometimes, you know, if an emotional thing happens, I want to read a recap to kind of grapple with it. But, mm-hmm. like... The proliferation of recap culture, I think, has provided some diminishing returns i think and i, mean, I say yeah. that as a person who is currently right now at this very second recording of <laughs> podcast. that's right yeah but it's like everybody's doing them now yeah and it's not there's not an angle and again i always always go back to television without pity mm-hmm. yep um which was mighty big tv right uh the two were related in some I way i think mighty big tv became television without pity okay. then nbc bought it and that was yeah. disastrous yeah although i'm sure everybody involved got a great payday I oh mean, yeah like, sure the people who wrote on that site initially have gone on to mm-hmm. tremendous things like the fug girls on yeah. go fug yourself mm-hmm. um there's several more who have like yeah yeah gone on to do great things and are recapping other places mm-hmm. but like those recaps always had such a point of view and they were they were also so long they were so long like it would be like a 10 page long recap of say the west wing that I they would, were you so know. detailed yeah and they were they were first person recaps there mm-hmm. was a lot of editorializing yeah they had great jokes it just it worked in this really great way but yeah. like now it's it's like these mini reviews mm-hmm. and oftentimes i find people missing what I think are the most resonant and relevant parts of the episode. Right. Or just straight up 
factual errors. Yeah, for because sure. Because the pressure for them to be up overnight is so great. Right. Let's not even get into the copy editing problems. Yeah. Um, no, and it's just, it's so disappointing to me. Yeah. And I, I just hope something happens. Yeah. Well, I just, I think, and we were talking about this last night, that Alan Steepenwall isn't doing episode by episode recaps of Orange is the New Black. He's right. just watching the whole thing and then doing a big, like, omnibus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. post about it. And I think that's that should be the new normal for these binge watchy things, right? For if it's released all at once, then recap it all at once. Orange is the New Black. I don't think functions as an episodic series. Like if you're talking about week to week, maybe I've never tried to watch it that way, right? So I have yeah, literally so it's hard no to idea. Say. And it's, I mean, I think it's a testament to them though. Every year that that show has been on, you and I have blazed through it yeah. in like a day and a half. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it's it's a novel. Like, it's truly a novel. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really interesting. Yeah. And I don't think we are equipped critically to deal with it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll let the market decide, I guess. Yeah. Because people are (laughs) definitely soliciting our opinion for how this should go. (laughs) Great point, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, Well, that said, uh, that's it for today. That's right. Uh, so hey, let's tell people how to contact us. We haven't oh, done yeah. that in a while. You can email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Twitter account is uh, at family meeting underscore PB or maybe just, I don't know. Search <laughs> family meeting. Listen, I don't know. I haven't been great on the Twitters lately. Uh, you know, I've had a lot going on. You've been very busy. I got a new job. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then up yours downstairs on Facebook. So That's right. we're around. Yep. We're available. That's right. Ish. I mean, we may, you know, we may not be responsive, but we're available. Yeah. We read everything. <laughs> All, All right. right. Uh, so we'll be back next time. By order of the Pinky Blinders.